0: Well, let's continue to worship the Lord together. Man, what a great song, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. we're going to enjoy the Word now as part of our worship of the Lord. So I'll invite you to uh, grab your bulletin, pull that little insert out of your bulletin, and then grab your Bible, and let's make our way to the book of 1 Peter, near the end of the New Testament, near the end of your Bible. So go way to the right, 1 Peter, chapter 1. If you need a Bible this morning, just raise your hand. We keep some in the back just in case... You might need one. And church family, does it ever happen for you as it does for me that our worship team sets before us a song or a hymn carefully chosen to enable us to be able to release our praise and our joy, uh, our confident trust in God, our, our deep gratitude to him for what he has done. And yet as the song is sung, your mind drifts. Drifts. Does This ever happen to you where, where your thoughts wander and, and, and you're in church and your lips are moving, kind of, but you're, you're just really not there. You're in another place, kind of like uh, another time zone. You're worshiping, but you're really not. You're just kind of wandering through. Does that ever happen to you? Yeah? I I'm, I'm hope I'm not the only one. So, so take, example, take, for example, this last song that we just sang, Made Alive. Were you in the song? Were you in that song? Some of you were definitely in that song. You were there engaged with the words. Profound truths were being spoken of, and you were attempting to express those. Somebody else wrote the song, but, but you, you took those words and you made them your own. Sometimes that doesn't happen when we're singing. Sometimes allow me to take us back to the words of the song that we just sang made alive. I once was dead in sin alone and hopeless, a child of wrath. I walked condemned in darkness, but your blood bought new life and in your love and kindness raised me up with Christ and made me righteous You have bought me back with the riches of your amazing grace and your relentless love. I'm made alive forever with you. Life forever. By your blood, I'm saved. That's what you're just saying. Yeah? You have bought me back with the riches of your amazing grace and relentless love. You have bought me back by your blood. I am saved. Yeah. I saw you from the back. I was in the back watching you sing that song. Your heart was into that song. It was there. This song was written five years ago. But the words, you have bought me back, well, those are much older than five years. In fact, the writer of that song borrowed those words from a letter that was written by the Holy Spirit through the pen of the Apostle Peter some 2,000 years ago. 1 Peter, where your Bible is now open, is where the words of this song were first given birth. Look at verse 18 of chapter 1 with me. I'll read it for us. Follow along in your Bible. Knowing that you were ransomed, redeemed, bought back, God, Holy Spirit, bring these words to life for us today, amen and amen. So today, everyone, obviously, we are returning to our study of the book of 1 Peter, and I say return because we have been away for a couple of weeks enjoying some other thoughts and places Our series is entitled Exiles, if you have been with us from the beginning, because that's what Peter calls the original first century recipients of his letter in verse 1. He calls them exiles. They were Christians living in Asia Minor who were facing intense persecution because they had determined to live for love and follow Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And as a result of this, their world, their culture, their communities had become a hostile place for them. They weren't wanted. They were were cut off. They were excluded, isolated, and persecuted, made to suffer in a variety of ways simply because they believed in the Lord Jesus as their Savior. They had become spiritual exiles. And the aging Apostle Peter gets wind of the plight of these first century Christians and moved by the Spirit of God. He writes this letter to encourage and instruct and build up and motivate them to hold on and not give up on God, not give up on their Savior, the Lord Jesus, no matter how beat up or bloodied they might become, no matter how difficult it might yet get for them not to give up, to stay the course Now, Christians living anywhere in any time when the culture becomes intolerant, even hostile towards them, are in effect spiritual exiles. Brothers and sisters, we are moving rapidly towards such times in our own culture. And if you and I remain close to Jesus and follow hard after him, we will eventually be spiritual exiles as well. Do you believe that? Yes, I believe that. So that makes the book of First Peter immensely valuable to us as a means of preparing us, equipping us, and encouraging us even now for what may be coming for us much sooner than we might think. Speaking of encouragement, that is precisely how Peter begins his letter. If you have been with us, From the outset. He encourages these suffering Christians. Reminding them of their great salvation. And he does that in the first 12 verses of chapter 1. But it doesn't take Peter very long. Because he's a man of action. It doesn't take him very long. Before he calls for action from his readers. And so we pick it up in verse 13. And here is what Peter says. Therefore... And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. I want to pause there for just a moment. Peter gives three direct commands here. As you see them on the screen, as you see them on your note page as well, he says, hope fully, be holy, and honor always. Now, that is great counsel for a Christian. Suffering or not, what great counsel. What a, what a powerful creed for life that, that if embraced by a Christian will, will serve them well. Hope fully in the promise and soon return of the Lord Jesus. Live in expectant anticipation of seeing Jesus every day. Do you do that? Do I do that? Do you think Jesus could come back today? He could. And so Peter says, Hope fully in that. Look for that. Anticipate that that could happen even today. And he says, Strive to be holy because God is holy. Because he's holy. A holy God. Flee sin and run hard after God as he presents his will for us through his word. And obey it. And make honoring always your Heavenly Father in everything you do, your goal, your desire, your passion, because He's worthy. He's the God of the universe. He's worthy of being reverenced and being honored always. A powerful way to live, brothers and sisters, a powerful witness for those who don't know Jesus yet, when we live like this, hoping fully, being holy, and honoring always but not content to simply present these directive commands, Peter then supplies the ultimate incentive for why we should want to live like this. Why should you and I want to live this way? Well, verse 18, knowing knowing that you were, what's the next word? Ransomed, Ransomed, or maybe your version says redeemed knowing that you were ransomed or redeemed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. That should be your motivation, Peter would say, above everything else. Church family, I confess to you that I... I tremble as we step into this infinitely great truth captured for us here in these verses. And and I'm just so desiring that I not mishandle it in any way. Holy Spirit, join us and help us as we move through the richness of these verses. Amen and amen. Could there possibly be, church family, a better place for us to gather as we are about to make our way to the communion table? Here in just a few moments, could there be two verses anywhere in the Bible that would better prepare us for where we're we're going here in in a short time? I really don't think so. So let's meet together first at this word "ransomed," or maybe your version again says the word "redeemed." Let's let's start there as we explore the richness of this passage, fellow lover of Jesus. There probably aren't two words that more clearly or fully or more beautifully capture the deep truths associated with our salvation than these two words, ransomed or redeemed. But we rarely use them in our everyday conversation. When was the last time you used the word ransom or the word redeemed? It's probably been a while. So let's reacquaint ourselves with this precious part of our Christian vocabulary and And then take these words with us to the hallowed ground of the table of remembering uh, in just a few moments. My prayer is that when we are done, the words ransomed and redeemed and the companion words redemption and redeemer will find a more prominent place, not just in our thinking, but also maybe in our speech. So on your note page, if we trace our, our English word, ransomed or redeemed, back to their roots, we have to go clear back to a time well before the first century, well before the days of Peter. And when we do that, eventually we will come to a little Greek word pronounced lutron. Lutron, this word meant to let loose or to loosen. Our words ransomed and redeemed, they come uh, in their original root form from this Greek word. Lutron was used to speak of loosening a, a tight knot on a on a rope. Or when a soldier would loosen his armor, he would, he would lutron his armor. He would loosen it, and, and, and that way he could take it off. And it was used most often when a prisoner was to be set free and the jailer would loosen his bonds, the bonds that held his feet or his hands. It was called being lutroned. You were You were released, you were loosened. Well, over time, and this is really important as we trace the etymology of this word, since it was often the case that the prisoner's release was made possible because some form of a payment price had been worked out, this word Lutron or ransom came to mean loosening or freeing of a prisoner by the payment of a price. Well, by the time we get to the first century, Lutron's meaning has morphed even a little more. By Peter's time and the writing of the New Testament, Lutron has found its way into the slave trade. Now it refers to men and women and children who will be bought for a price in the slave market. That's how the word was used in Peter's day. Now, we view the buying and selling of human beings to be a vile and wicked thing, but it was, and you need to know this, it was just an everyday common reality in the first century. Every city of any size had a slave market, and everybody knew about that. The wealthy would go down to the slave market on set days, and and one by one the, the slaves would be brought out, usually naked, and they would be placed on a raised block in the marketplace, there to be examined by buyers. No different than if they were an animal. That's how they were viewed. The buyer and the seller would agree to a price, and at that moment... It would then be announced that this slave had been lutronned, had been ransomed, had been redeemed and purchased for a price. So whenever we see the word ransom or redeemed or redemption or we hear the word redeemer, we should instantly think, oh, slaves bought off of the block for a price. That should be the word picture that comes to our mind. And as that first century slave stepped up onto that block there on that in that dusty, dirty, noisy market, there was one all-consuming thought that pressed into every fiber of that slave's being. In fact, it was more than a thought, church family. It was a, it was a silent prayer. And it was a prayer spoken silently to whatever power might hear whether it was God or someone else, that the one who was purchasing would be a good, just, kind, redeemer, ransomer. That was the hope. The slave's future was in that moment going to be defined and determined by what kind of a redeemer bought them. And it is this imagery of bondage and and enslavement and helplessness and powerlessness that grips the minds of the New Testament writers. As they reflected upon the love of God and his, his desire to bring salvation, forgiveness, and a new life to sinners through the shed blood of Jesus, the Holy Spirit gives these writers this word, Lutron. Why? Because the Bible says every single person who does not have an authentic, real, genuine, personal, ransomed, and redeemed relationship with God through faith in Jesus is a slave to sin. That's what the Bible says. Without a personal faith relationship with Jesus, says God's Word, a person, no matter what they might think of themselves in the moment, is a slave a slave to a way of thinking and living that ultimately is opposed to God. Those persons have not believed God or trusted Jesus and have not bowed their hearts and their wills to God's authority. They are slaves to sin. So says the word of God. Such, picture, such persons are slaves in the house of a cruel, wicked, God-hating, self-serving master whose name is Say it, church. Satan. Yeah. That says the Bible is the spiritual condition of every person who is not in a faith relationship with Jesus. Now, the last thing that anybody here should want to do is to, to take my word for such a profound issue and truth. They're too important for that. So check out a few passages of Scripture with me that declare this truth about who or what we are without Jesus in our life. Check out Romans chapter 6, verse 6. We know that our old self was crucified with him, in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be what, church, enslaved to sin. Or how about Romans 6:16? Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? Or how about 619? I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity, slaves to sin, and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Or how about Galatians chapter 4, verse 8? Formerly, when you didn't know God, you were what? Enslaved. Enslaved to those who by nature are not gods. I don't think it could be any more clear, and this is just the smallest sampling of, of God's word regarding this truth that if you are not in a faith relationship with Jesus Christ, you are what? You're a slave, a slave to sin. And on your note page near the bottom, this imagery of the slave to describe someone who does not have a relationship with Jesus yet becomes even more appropriate when we realize that in Peter's day, a person ended up enslaved in one of three ways. And, and Peter would have, been, would have been well acquainted with this, as would his readers. You could be born into slavery, or you might become a slave by conquest, or you could become a slave by virtue of a debt that you could not pay. Those were the three ways you might enter into slavery. Now, there were in Peter's day thousands upon thousands of slaves in the first century who were slaves simply because they were born in, by, into, to a slave family. They were, their parents were slaves. If your mother and dad were slaves, then when you were born, well, that's what you were as well. You were born into slavery. But let's just say that you dodged that fate and you're born free but then a neighboring king in the country next to yours gets power hungry and he wants more land and so he invades your country and he wins you're about to become a slave by conquest to the victor goes the spoils as it says and in the first century a huge part of the spoils were were the conquered people and so this invading king would take you and he would bind you and He would march you back to his country to serve his people, to be a slave. This very thing happened, didn't it, to the people of Israel in the Old Testament. The Babylonian king, Nebuchadnezzar, invaded Israel and he carried off the Jewish people into Babylon for a long period of time and made them slaves. And then that third way that you might become a slave was through debt. If a person owed more than they could pay back, then that person would be... Sold into slavery in order to pay back the debt that was owed. Now, just think for a moment how these three ways of becoming a slave parallel what our Bible says about all of us. We were all born slaves to sin. Do you agree with that? You do agree with that? We were all born slaves to sin. No exceptions. No exceptions. We're all born into this world with a nature that does not want to submit to God. We all do, without any training, without any instruction, things that are the very opposite of God's heart, right? We all do that. We reject His will. We reject His best for us. We want what we want. That's called sin. And we're born with that. We're born slaves to sin, in fact, Peter alludes to this very reality in verse 18, doesn't he? Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. You were born into slavery to sin. All of this last week, um, our daughter and her family have been visiting Lisa and I and staying at our home and And and, and our our, son, our daughter and her husband have two little ones, a, a four-year-old and a 16-month-old, and it's just been wonderful having them running around in our house and just reminding us of what we miss most of the time. and So it's just been rich. But, but as wonderful it is, as all that has been, I, I did see in both of our grandkids that sin nature that they inherited from their forefather, from me. I saw that sin nature. Even in our 16-month-old, born into slavery, even at 16 months, it shows up. You don't, we don't have to train our children to, to, to hit or, or to take or to, to defy. We don't have to do that. It comes to them quite naturally. We would just have to go back to the nursery and confirm it wouldn't we, right? (laughs) We would see it happen there, born into slavery. King David in the Old Testament says of himself in Psalm 51, verse 5, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time that my mother conceived me. He's speaking of the birthright of sin that that we can trace all the way back to Adam and Eve. We were all slaves by birth, no exceptions, Only there's a double whammy here because we were also slaves by conquest. Ephesians 2, 1 and 2 reads like this. As for you, when you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Who is that? That's Satan, isn't it? The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. The Holy Spirit through Paul's pen says to these Christians living in Ephesus, Hey, before Jesus came into your life, you were under the dominion, under the ruler of the kingdom of the air. You were under Satan's rule. You were a slave. All of us, he says, at one time lived as slaves under the authority of Satan. Slaves by conquest. And that ruler is right now at work in the lives of every person without Jesus in their life. No exceptions. Slaves by conquest. And then the double whammy turns into a triple whammy. Because we're also slaves by debt, aren't we? Slaves by debt. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What a marvelous, marvelous verse. In other words, Paul says every sin we've ever committed pays a wage. The wage is not only physical death, but it is spiritual death as well. Just as physical death separates us from this life, so spiritual death separates us from eternal life with God. Sin does that, it pays a wage. We build up a a sin debt before God that we can never, ever repay on our own. And unless someone pays that debt for us, we die as slaves. We spend eternity as slaves, spiritually dead. No exceptions. Do you believe that? That's the truth, that's God's word. Fellow Christian, no wonder then that the Holy Spirit chose to use the analogy of slavery to help us see our lives correctly. We're three times slaves to sin and its devastating effects. Three times sinners under the The dominating power of a ruthless master. We cry out on the slave block. Is there no one to ransom? Is there no one to redeem? Is there no one who will buy me. Out of this damning. Condemning. Eternally dark place. That my sin has landed me. By birth. And by conquest. And by debt. Is there no one? We cry. And that is when. According to the scriptures, God sends his son, Jesus, into our noisy, dusty, sin-choked slave market, our world... And God doesn't simply send Jesus into our world so that he can, can watch the proceedings and, of slaves being bought and sold in sin and, and not so that he can merely pity the horrible plight of the sinner slave. No, God sends Jesus into the slave market where we are with but one all-consuming intent, and that is to be the ransom, to be the redeeming ransom. To buy us back, no matter the cost. Men, women, young people who all their lives have been slaves. He comes to loosen the bonds of sin. To to break the chains of guilt and condemnation. To pay the impossible debt of sin himself. To ransom you and me. That's why he comes. Hebrews two fourteen and 15 declares it this way. Since the children have flesh and blood, that's you and me, he, Jesus, too, shared in their humanity so that by his death, by his blood, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. We say amen and amen. We can never think, brothers and sisters, of the words ransomed or redeemed or redemption or the word redeemer and not think about the cost. So if you'll flip that little note page over, the words ransom or redeemed, why those are, those are meaningless words, meaningless terms without some price being paid to remove the enslaved person off of the slave block. And that price, as you well know, church, that price is nothing less than the blood of Jesus. It's virtually impossible to turn to any passage in the New Testament that speaks about the saving work of Jesus and not find mention made, above all else, of the incredible price paid by God the Father and by the Lord Jesus to ransom us. It seems to be that aspect of our salvation that takes precedent over all other, all other parts of it. Rooted in a love we will never fully comprehend, the greatest price ever paid for anything was paid by God for you and for me. Now, if you ponder that for just one moment, that is an incredible declaration. The greatest price ever paid for anything was paid for you, for me. Knowing that you were ransomed, you were redeemed, you were bought back from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. The most costly price imaginable is what our redemption demanded. Nothing less than the life blood, the sinless blood of God Himself. By saying, like a lamb without blemish or spot, Peter was helping his Jewish Christian readers uh, to make the connection that all of those Old Testament sacrifices for sin that the people had made with innocent animals as the sacrificing agent there, all of those things, all of that for centuries, all that bloodshed has been eclipsed by the precious blood of the Lamb of God, whose name is Jesus. The Apostle Paul says the very same thing Peter says. He just says it a little differently when he says in 1 Corinthians 5:7, for Christ our what? Our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. His blood poured out. The precious blood of the pure, spotless, undefiled by sin, holy, holy, holy lamb of God, that was the price that the Father's holiness and the Father's justice required to secure our spiritual freedom. As the Lord Jesus hung upon the cross and, and as the soldiers and as the, the, the crowd looked on and they saw the blood of Jesus, could they have possibly begun to even imagine the enormous value of those drops of blood as they fell to the ground? Not silver, not gold, not good works, Not charitable donations. Not church attendance. The book of Isaiah says that that those things are like filthy rags to a holy God when it comes to removing sin from a sinner's life. Nothing can purchase forgiveness of sin and freedom from sin's enslaving condemnation except the lifeblood of the Lord Jesus Christ. He He came into the marketplace of our world and on Calvary, he, he laid down the payment by offering up himself. In, in Mark 10.45, Jesus says concerning himself, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as what, church? Ah, the ransom for many. Guess what Greek word Jesus used there? Lutron. Absolutely. Purchased. With a price. Bought off the slave block. Have you ever pondered? Have you ever pondered for very long what you are worth to God? Do you ever spend time thinking about that? What you are worth to God? You, brother, sister, you are so valued by God, so prized by Him that He was willing to give the most precious possession that he has which is himself to redeem you to redeem me how can any christian have a self-image problem when you know that when you believe that with all of your heart how can you have a self-image problem you can't the greatest price ever paid for anything was paid for you in the book of Revelation, chapter 5, there's captured for us a scene in heaven. Uh, this scene is yet future. And it'll be when heaven's residents are going to fall down and they're going to worship before the Lord Jesus. And they're going to sing a song. And part of the words to this song go like this. And by your blood you what? You ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. By your blood Cries out, heaven, buy your blood. That's the purchase price, and heaven sings about that. It's the only price that could buy the sinner off the block. How about Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7? Could it be more plain? In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished. Don't you love that word? Lavished on us. And we could go on and on and on. But the fact is that no matter how long we spent trying to grasp the cost of our redemption and the price that Jesus paid and that the Father paid for us, we wouldn't even begin to scratch the surface. In fact, I would just say to you, brothers and sisters, eternity will not be long enough for us to grasp the cost of our salvation. Having said all that, brothers and sisters, even though we have shared these truths concerning ransom and the the precious blood of Jesus that makes all of this possible, it's mind-blowing, it's wonderful, it's rich, even so there could be lingering in the background a question and until this question gets answered, It will not allow us to truly rest in the richness and in the security of our redemption. We have to answer a question. And the question is this. Will I ever have to go back to the slave block? Will I ever have to go back? Is there any chance that I could do something that would jeopardize my relationship with God that Jesus has purchased for me? Is there anything that, that might cause the Father to withdraw the price or, or move Jesus to take his ransom payment back? Is there, is there anything that I can do that would cause me to be a slave again? No. <laughs> Okay. Now, Peter must have anticipated his first century persecuted readers would be wondering this question because notice what he says, verses 20 and 21. He, that is Jesus, was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Now, we could easily take a whole morning And just spend time with these two verses. We don't have the time to do that now. But here's what Peter essentially says. He says, listen, Christian, the ransom plan between the father and the son, it was in play before God even made the world. The plan to ransom was in place. But in his sovereign wisdom, he's made known this plan now in these last times, which is simply the Bible's term for the period of time between Jesus' first coming and his second coming. So right now, we are living in the last times. And then here's the crux of it all. He has made the ransom plan known now for the sake of who? What does it say? For the sake of you. For the sake of us. This ransom plan was put into place. For the sake of you. For the sake of me. I have written my name. In my Bible. Right above the word you. In verse 20. So that I will never ever forget this glorious truth. The ransom plan. And the precious blood shed. Was for me. And it was for you. I shake my head and oh, I say, oh, my God, what grace, what undeserved kindness. I am in your plan. You wanted me enough to buy me with the blood of your son. Is your name written above the word you in your Bible? I hope you're not afraid to write in your Bible. This, Your name should be above that word you if you've abandoned all hope of saving yourself by something that you could do. If you've given up hope in trying to save yourself, your name should be written above that word you. If you have said, I'm a slave to sin and hell bound unless another pays my sin debt. If you believe that Jesus had paid your ransom price himself with his life, God having raised him back to life and as proof that he accepted his precious blood as an atonement offering that would work, then your name should be written above the word you in your Bible so that you will never forget the price paid for you. God has exalted Jesus to the highest place for what he has done, giving him unmatched glory, Peter says here, so that our faith and our hope are in God. And the one thing we know about our God is that he never changes. We never have to wonder again if we're going to go back to the slave block. It's not going to happen. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us From the curse of the law, by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Once again, it's not hard for us to see the emphasis here placed on on the price that Jesus paid for our redemption. He endures the wrath of God, sins, curse, if you will, upon the cross. But what I would ask you to focus on in this moment out of this verse is the word redeemed. The Apostle Paul carefully chooses... Another little Greek word that we often translate into English as redeemed or or ransomed, but it's different from the word lutron, purchased for a price. Here in Galatians 3.13, Paul uses the word ex agorazo. And ex agorazo means to purchase or redeem something so that it can never be returned. Did you know that? That's the word he uses here. To put it another way, the Holy Spirit moves the Apostle Paul to choose the word ex because it emphasizes the result or the effect of Jesus' ransoming work. When Jesus ransomed us from the curse of sin, we were purchased so completely, redeemed so effectively, that we can never be returned to the slave market again. Ever. Ex We've been bought out. Bought out out of the slave market, never to be returned again. Never. Can you say that with me out loud, church, and say it like you mean it? Never. Do you believe it? Yes. Amen. That's what it means to be ransomed by God. That's what it means to be redeemed by Jesus. On your note page, I cannot help but think of the words of our Redeemer Jesus in John chapter 10, verses 28 and 29, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. And no one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. No one and no thing can ever take us back to the slave market of sin again. Amen and amen. Sin will not be your master ever again. How do we know that for sure, church? How do we know that? Well, God's word says it, right? But how about Hebrews 9, verse 12? Jesus entered the most holy place once for all. By his own blood, having obtained what? Eternal redemption. Jesus did not obtain for us a temporary redemption. A temporary ransom. It is an eternal ransom. And we say praise be to him. First Peter 3.18 which we'll get to one day in our series. Might be a while but we'll get there. For Christ also suffered once for sins. The righteous for the unrighteous. That he might bring us to God. He will never die for sin again. The ransoming work. Is done. And how about Romans 6.22. But now that you have been set free from sin. And become slaves to God. The benefit you reap. You reap leads to holiness. And the result is. Eternal life. We're never going back to that wretched slave market. Brothers and sisters. Never. Never. That's the bottom line. The price of our liberation has been paid in full by the precious blood of God himself. Our ransom is complete. Certain. Secure. Knowing that you were ransomed, redeemed from the futile ways, inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus. With these glorious truths, church family, we're brought right up to the threshold now of our time together around the table where we get to remember the price paid for our ransom, our redemption. I would invite you in this moment to draw upon all these truths that we've been sharing and come to this table with this This thought of having been bought with the greatest price ever paid for anything and it having been paid for you. What a rich truth to bring to this table this morning. Now, if you don't know the Lord Jesus yet, if you're still pursuing that, but you you haven't really made Jesus your Savior today, then I would just encourage you to not partake in this moment. Save that for when you really do believe what what you would be doing. If you know the Lord Jesus, this is such a sacred moment. It's time to examine our hearts, our minds, where we've been living our lives. Our God is a holy God and he, he treats this table with great, great importance. It would be wrong for us to casually approach the table today. So we take in, we take inventory. We just take a moment. Am I living? Am I living like I'm a ransomed, freed, son, daughter of God? Am I living like that? If confession needs to be made, then make that confession. I'll ask the ushers to come if they would, prepare to serve you. They'll take the elements and they'll pass the elements to you. And as you take the bread and the cup, brothers and sisters, just hold on to those elements and we will partake together. But allow me now just to pray for a moment. Well, Father, so much more that could be said and should be said. It causes us to just feel like we barely touched the truth of your word this morning, but it's been enough for us. And we'll say thank you for that. Lord, how thankful we are that you have redeemed us, that you have ransomed us, that you have unfolded this incredibly immense, majestic plan. Even though we will never fully understand it or fully be able to thank you for it, we, we come to this table with gratitude. And we so want to tell you that we love you as our ransoming, redeeming Lord and Savior. Thank you that you, through Jesus, have made us your own, purchased us for yourself, and we're never going back. As we take the bread and as we take the cup, all glory to you. Payer of our debt. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.